Hello, this is Governing Chatters for the 1st of November. I'm Emma Knights, the Chief Executive of the National Governance Association, and I have with me two of um, our other members of our senior leadership team, Sam Henson, who's Director of Policy and Information. Hello. And Steve Edmonds, Director of Advice and Guidance. Hello. So thinking back to a month ago, I I think we were all rather more optimistic about um, how schools had done such a good job um, opening up back to most pupils um, for the new term. And here we are during um, half term week. um, And in fact, the virus um, is very much uh, on a comeback and particularly rampaging in some parts of the country um, more than others. I mean, we knew this term wasn't going to be straightforward. There had been a lot of talk of a second wave, but when it actually begins to hit and what that means for staff in our schools, the confidence of of families um, and pupils, and particularly the pressure on um, school leaders, um, those have not uh, abated and are beginning to be very tricky again in in some parts um, of of the country. Uh, so we will um, come back and comment um, on on that uh, in a moment. But I did just want to mention um, a couple of things that we had been up to uh, during October. Uh, in particular, uh, some of you might be aware that we published a new uh, policy report looking at chairing a board, sharing leadership, and developing governance. And it was meant to be both a celebration of the huge amount of effort and time that chairs give to their governing boards, uh, developing uh, others and ensuring uh, the board is as if effective as it possibly can be. But at the same time, what it was doing was pulling together um, all the evidence about who chairs boards and their experiences um, from not just our own work, our annual surveys, but from other uh, sources as as well. And we held uh, an event at which the uh, Minister with Responsibility for Governance, Baroness Berridge, um, came and very much supported the themes uh, in that report, not just about the contributions being made by those who are leading, but also um, the real need to make sure that uh, the role is manageable for people and that we do um, have as much as we possibly can um, succession plans uh, and also that we use um, other people uh, on the board to their full potential. So that means, you know, vice chairs, but also um, others. So we shall be um, sharing the stories from the chairs who spoke um, at that event. But I sort of commend that publication to you if you haven't um, had a chance uh, to read it. Um, And it came out on the same day that our new edition of the Chair's Handbook um, was was published. So if you're listening to this um, as a gold member of NGA, your Chair's Handbook should um, have arrived uh, with you as part of your membership package but other people please please have a look because that's very much um, at the core of our advice um, to chairs leading uh, leading their boards. 
And then here, sitting, um, uh, planning our next um, uh, months, we have at the end, on the 28th um, of November, in true NGA style, a Saturday uh, for our AGM and my annual address. So it's a shame we can't all be gathering together as we normally do for a whole day of um, conference, but I do hope that um, you'll be interested in uh, joining us um, and having a debate about what NGA should be doing for you um, in the coming year. We're going to be having an interactive session where you can tell us what it is NGA should be talking um, to the powers that be um, about. And I just wanted to, to remind you, if you are in one of our six regions where there are elections going on for our trustee board, um, you know, we are an organization that is owned by its members. Um, so please do cast your vote. We are really pleased that this year so many people have put themselves forward to be elected as trustees um, to the NGA. Uh, so there are votes uh, to be cast. So please do take take that opportunity um, to choose who you want to be um, leading our organisation. We've also uh, continued to uh, produce our resources for members um, around COVID uh, because we need to make absolutely sure that you are as prepared as you can possibly be for dealing with uh, whatever is being thrown at um, your schools um, and your communities um, to be there to offer advice to your senior leaders but also to be able to make calm decisions um, and monitor the outcome of those decisions. So for example uh, one of the information sheets we produced last week was about communicating um, with, uh, with parents so please have a look at those if you haven't already done so. We have replaced the bulk of our annual conference with four seminars um, and we have chosen um, topics that uh, we know are important to you that govern and are important to us at NGA. We're doing considerable work on so one of those issues has absolutely come to the fore again um, with the way in which uh, COVID uh, is uh, materialising across across the country, uh, differenti differentially in different places. Um, so, for example, we're seeing right now that some schools um, in the north um, and in some parts of the Midlands are having to send pupils and indeed teachers in some cases home much more often um, than schools in, for example, the southeast um, and the southwest. And that's just really going to exacerbate those differences that we've seen in terms of uh, learning time uh, in school. So one of our annual seminars is on closing that disadvantage gap. And I think there's no more important time to be talking about that um, than now. So Sam, tell us a little bit more. Thanks, Emma. Um, as everyone knows, the um the 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 the, the topic of, of the attainment gap has never gone away. It's never never disappeared but now more than ever I think it's under the spotlight and even before the pandemic there was 
I think I think it's fair to say there was real concern that more children were were suffering under um, an in, an increasing weight of poverty amid fears that the gap would start to expand once again. And um, the progressive view led by high profile um, evidence based organisations like the Education Policy Institute um, have, had said that that gap had start had started to close in recent years. Um, so you know there's there's a real concern uh, even before the pandemic about what was happening but but as as we look uh, around what what's going on now um we see that um so many people are being affected in in, in so many different ways um and uh the the pandemic is hitting families all over the place and disadvantaged pupils are um as a result suffering um because of that um and the the current research from the education policy institute shows that disadvantaged pupils are around 18 months behind their peer, peers by the time they sit their gcses um uh, and tackling the inherent systematic social challenges um then such as persistent poverty and negative attitudes towards um education are at the root of um, are overcoming the gap. So the strategic conversation on disadvantage really needs to be ramped up like never before. Um, so governing boards uh, clearly will want to be standing up at this at this point in point in time and and thinking about what what they can can be doing, working with their senior leadership teams to research what works to overcome new and existing barriers. Um, the the pupil premium strategy is something that boards will will look at again, and that needs to be rooted very much in the context um, uh, of what's what's going on today. And bearing in mind that you know we've 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 reached a huge turning point in in history, and the 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 I think one of the positive things is the tide of public opinion definitely seems to have turned. Um, now more than ever, um, an opportunity has presented itself. Um, to ensure that we don't go backwards after the pandemic. Um, the outlook for our poorest children is being taken more seriously by a growing number of um, of, of people, which I think, uh, you know, that that's one positive. Um, I, I think, Emma, it's worth worth catching up here on, on what, what the government's current focus is, and, and that is very much on... Um, how the uh, catch-up funding is is being used through the national tutoring program, which is to be rolled out uh, over the next year. Um, the EEF's teaching and learning toolkit identifies tutoring as an approach that can improve learning on average by five additional months um, progress over the course of a year. And so the the government's very much decided that this is this is the right way forward. And so that national tutoring program developed by um, different charities with the support of the, the government is now um, being rolled out um, and that that's something that um, certainly from after half term um, we'll, we'll start to see more and more schools beginning to access that and there are two tiers two pillars if you like to that program the the, the tuition partners where schools can access subsidized high quality tuition from um an approved list of external providers and then there's also the academic mentors as well um which where there'll be trained graduates who'll be employed by schools in the most disadvantaged areas 
Um, but both of those pillars of that program will begin to deliver in this this second half of the term, as I said. Um, but I think it's worth saying that that whole program is really um, designed to be flexible, and it also has to to um, work in harmony, if you like, with what's actually going on in the classroom. And I think that's that's really important. Um, I think, Emma, I, I just to to finish off, really, it's worth touching base on, on exactly where we where where we are now i mean it, it, we've you know like i said the the tide of um public opinions very very much changed and this is a real issue that is 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 on more uh you know we're, we're reading about it in more of the the press than ever before um we've seen high profile um people um like marcus uh, rashford who's who've really stepped up to 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 draw attention to the plight of our dis most disadvantaged um, pupils. Um, but one thing that, that um, lots of schools are still waiting on is their laptop provision for um, uh, their most disadvantaged pupils that have been promised by the government. We've seen over 100,000 of those laptops have, have already gone out. But then uh, last week, um, the, the government has said that they've changed their, um, their tactics with that. Um, and the the allocation is changing and being cut from for many um, schools as the government looks to make that um, program more sustainable. So obviously, there's understandably a huge amount of disappointment, anger out there. You know, we've we've heard stories of of allocations being cut from from 120 just down to to 20 laptops, or from 61 to 13. You know, so the, these these are big big drops. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot of worried head teachers, a lot of worried teachers out there, uh, and that's something that I think that we need to keep drawing attention to this, and and um, yeah, let's see what happens. Absolutely. I mean, I think it would be uh, really helpful if, you know, members who are listening to this and have stories and experiences do get in, in, in touch. As you said, there's been huge amounts of, of, of anger about the change of plan so late in the day when people were expecting so many more um, laptops and have planned uh, around um, that. And it's something certainly that we will be discussing with the department. But I think one of the things that I found quite difficult to take was, I think all three of us have been in meetings with the department where um, uh, it has been said that they understood the anger when guidance was mm. sent out during holidays or on Friday evenings. And here we had on the, the Friday evening as half term was starting for most um, uh, people, an email sent to to head teachers making a, a, a great change, um, and sadly not a change for 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 the better. So I just really want to to reassure members that we do feed that back to the department, um, and I, they will have got that message loud and clear. But it is incredibly disappointing that they made that same mistake i'm assuming i'm being charitable here and assuming it was a, a, a mistake to, to 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 do that um so there will be a whole raft i think of of other stakeholders saying that simply wasn't a good enough way to do business um school leaders are working so hard to keep everything going at the moment they really don't need that 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 sort of um, uh, message at any point, but let alone on a on a Friday beginning, beginning of a holiday. Um, 
Steve, I don't know whether um, you want to add anything more about the, um, you know, advice and guidance that we've been producing for for members on um, remote education, because obviously it's now become a legal um, uh, requirement that all schools do provide remote education. I think, you know, we knew uh, that it was there in the guidance um, anyway. Indeed, yes, uh, Emma, absolutely. And it's also quite rightly and quite uh, correctly been a major talking point at, at governing board meetings this term because, you know, providing that support for, for pupils who are at home who are at home because of COVID. And as you said in your introduction, unfortunately, that's an upward trajectory we're on there. There are more pupils affected and at, and at home at the moment due to COVID. Um, it, it's not an easy issue to address, but it is something that we, we it's so important that we try to get it right, not least for those disadvantaged pupils that Sam's been, Sam, Sam's been talking about, um, who have already suffered so much during the, during the pandemic. Yes, as you say, uh, schools are now under a legal direction um, to provide immediate access to remote education uh, should they miss school uh, uh, due to COVID. Um, and when, we're, when we say remote education, what we, we mean, that is likely to be a combination of, of online teaching and, and resources tailored for the pupils uh, ready to use at, at home independently. And uh, from a governing board perspective, it's really important that um, your, your school's plan um, for achieving this in the circumstances is strong enough and is flexible enough to be pressed into action immediately uh, if needed and can be scaled up for more pupils again if needed and, and provides that really important interaction between uh, pupils and, and teachers as part of the as part of the provision um, but most importantly um, that that it meets the needs of pupils who don't have online access and and, and as Sam said there's some really fundamentally challenging issues at the moment, not just around the supply of equipment, but also pupils who don't have uh, the access to broadband or the phone credit that, that they need because of their circumstances. And there will be more of these because of the, you know, the, the, the very difficult and challenging state uh, of the economy um, at the moment. So um, what our guidance, and I'm glad you've uh, given me the opportunity to plug our guidance on remote education, um, covers for governing boards uh, is, it, is it points to the expectations, uh, the legal uh, expectations and what the statutory guidance says that schools should be providing in broad terms. But it also goes a little bit further than that. It, it, it describes the characteristics of a effective um, virtual learning and remote education. And that's drawn from other service sources, not only the DFEs, but also uh, other sources like the Education Endowment Foundation's guidance, um, points of the support that's available for schools to achieve this. Um, and, and not all schools are in the same position. So, you know, the resources like the Oak National Academy have been, uh, you know, really important uh, at this very difficult time. And uh, as well as pointing to questions that boards uh, can ask uh, about the quality and the extent of the remote education their school, their schools are providing. So, that's that. That's a really important piece of guidance for us uh, to help boards and, and schools and trusts do their bit at school level. But as Sam said, uh, the system needs to do its bit as well. Uh, and that equation of um, the up 
surge in the number of pupils who unfortunately are at home due to COVID, plus the um, the, the reduction in, in the allocation of, of laptops um, does not really lend itself to meeting that legal duty, does it, on the recommendations uh, to support uh, to support those pupils. So that's something we're really concerned about, and I know that we'll continue to press that point in those policy-making forums that you mentioned. Absolutely. And the more we can hear from um, members about uh, the experience in, in your localities, um, the better we can make uh, the case with the department. So all those sort of issues and others we will be discussing with um, partners such as those that Sam mentioned, the Education Endowment Foundation and the Education Policy Institute on Monday the 23rd of November at half past four. And then the next day, Tuesday the 24th of November, the um, seminar uh, again at half four will be the next steps in our equality and diversity work. Um, I think uh, many of you will know uh, that this is a subject uh, that we have been uh, working on for some time now, particularly in terms of board diversity with our everyone on board um, campaign and the work that we announced over the summer, particularly looking at uh, governing boards um, and race. We published both guidance and a new learning link module um, on diversity uh, last month, but we are very aware that what those do do is look at um, the sort of legalities, um, the responsibilities um, on of boards um, in at that sort of more technical level. And where we want to take the project now is looking at that more holistic role of governing uh, boards, how they make this happen um, through making sure there are, you know, healthy um, uh, cultures, for example. Um, but and the next topic we are going to be really thinking about, again, drawing on the expertise of partners, um, is about diversity in school leadership. Um, so uh, we will be joined um, by a number of people, but particularly partnered with ASCOL, the Association of School and College Leaders, who've been doing a lot of work um, looking at improving diversity and inclusion um, in, in school leadership. Um, so that's a, a topic that we'll um, really be developing over the next uh, few months. But Steve, do you want to sort of add some thoughts about those issues that we, we need to be um, reflecting on and improving? Well, yes. And I think actually you, you really um, put your finger on it there when you said that the, um, the reflection and the, the learning is so important. But I think now we, we, we have to, it's so important, try to move this conversation on to, mm. to, to make it solution focused, to make it action focused, because the lack of diversity in school leadership, you know, it, it is such a mainstream conversation now. There is so much goodwill behind uh, what we're trying to achieve. For me, that only makes it more frustrating that we're not making the progress that we all, we all really want to see. You know, the, the, higher, the higher up the school hierarchy you go it's still the case that the less women you will see that women are proportionally underrepresented in in school leadership positions 
We know uh, that there are simply not enough teachers uh, in the system from, from black and minority ethnic uh, backgrounds. And of course, that's going to then affect the numbers number of them taking up uh, leadership roles. So we, we really do need to move uh, this agenda on now from strategic reflection and awareness raising of the issues to to embedding you know positive culture changes and positive changes in behavior and I think if we look at this from a governing board perspective and I think about this a lot as a governor and trustee myself um, it really means you know more than anything sitting down and doing what we at NGA have been saying for so long uh, actually measuring what we value uh, and rather than just sort of concentrating on the compliance, as you said, uh, Emma, with, with, a, with a public sector equality duty, taking an honest look at ourselves and, and auditing our practice, whether that's the composition of our board, um, whether it's the outcomes of pupils in, 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 in groups, uh, minority groups or, or underrepresented groups, um, we need to ask ourselves why why few colleagues uh, in those groups that are underrepresented have been promoted on, on you know and in the case of, of uh, pupils from black and minority ethnic backgrounds you know how that then travels through into things like exclusions in disproportionate numbers uh, and also our curriculum as well you know what does our curriculum do to inspire through whether it's culture history or or promoting positive role models and these are all things that we can do at board level actually uh, just by starting a conversation um, and, and, then, and then moving it, you know, moving it into, you know, a really honest assessment of our school culture and what that that feels like to to all our stakeholders. And I think we're on that start of that, to use that awful phrase, a journey, really, as far as our guidance and our relearning is concerned, as you said, to make it um, to make it more about culture and behaviour change as, as much as it is about compliance. So, uh, you know, it's something we're very passionate about. Absolutely. So that seminar on the um, Tuesday, the the 24th, will be the sort of first step in that. What is the governing board's um, role in in making that difference to diversity in school leadership? Obviously, beginning with the way that we recruit um, our head teachers and and CEOs. So please join us um, for that discussion. Um, I was about to say if you feel as strongly about it as as we do, but perhaps even if you don't feel as as strongly um, about it. I think it's an important, important conversation uh, to be part of. And then the following day, uh, Wednesday, the 25th of November, um, at half past four, we will be um, looking at um, where next for school improvement. Um, and in particular, we'll have an, a number of um, uh, experts in um, school improvement with us, but particularly I'll be welcoming Nick Brook from the National Association of Head Teachers, um, who uh, chaired a commission uh, that will be reporting uh, very shortly, about a week before the conference seminar, which looks at what do we need to have in place, both at an organisational level, but also at a system Pandemic let a level to make sure we are providing the best education we possibly can to pupils. So themes such as um, ensuring that teachers thrive and, and develop. Um, how do we um, empower and, and develop our, our leaders so that they um, lead school improvement well and effectively? 
what is the place for collaboration um, uh, within school improvement? Uh, what's our collective responsibility? Um, it's clear within organisations where, uh, or it should be, where responsibility um, uh, lies. But now when we think about our you know, towns, our sense of place, our sense of community, how do we work together as a family um, of schools to produce the best we possibly can uh, for all the pupils in the area? How much of that is done um, by school to school support or trust to, to, to trust support? Um, and, and how much should be done calling on external expertise? Where does that come from? How do we make sure it's good and making a difference? And I'm absolutely sure we will cover that issue that Sam was just talking about, about making sure the system works well for all communities and there aren't left behind areas, whether they be um, you know, on the coast um, uh, in England or in some of our poorest inner city um, uh, areas. So what we are trying to, to do alongside partners is, you know, build a consensus how best we all all work um, together, but also then what we can expect um, in terms of investment uh, from, uh, from the government or, or other other players. So I'm sure that will be a really um, fascinating um, uh, subject and important for governing boards to take their place in that conversation. After all, um, I really don't like the phrase very much driving school improvement. It suggests that there isn't already a culture of sort of continuous organisational um, improvement. But boards and the role that boards have in setting the priorities and then monitoring the the, the priorities um, should uh, be absolutely central to making sure that organisations improve and not decline. And one of the things that NGA uh, does, and I think I have been doing um, on the NAHT Commission, where I've been um, lucky enough to serve, is to try and make that point. You know, don't forget the role of governing boards, absolutely central to, to making our schools um, successful uh, places. We might um, just touch um, on the role of, of Ofsted, although I'm sort of minded to, to keep that to the periphery because we really don't want Ofsted taking centre stage in terms of um, how we deliver the best we possibly um, can. But Sam, you've been um, uh, thinking um, and uh, talking to, to Ofsted about their um, role. So do you want to say a few words on the sort of latest position vis-a-vis -vis inspections yeah absolutely i mean as as everyone will know the um the ofsted um inspections were 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 stopped um well it seems like a lifetime ago now doesn't it it really does um and um during um last academic year we we obviously saw um Ofsted using their their resources in, in other ways, and then this term, um, this 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 term, this new academic year saw the the start of um, the uh, the the new visits that that Ofsted have started to, to do. But they've always said that that the plan was to, just to do that for 
um, for this term initially. And then the, the plan was to recommence um, for inspections from, from January onwards. Um, and I, I think um, uh, that, that that's something that there's been much debate about across the sector. And, and you know, I think the, where we currently stand today, um, there is no way that we could um, we can know where exactly where we'll be in it come come January and at the start of 2021. So certainly, uh, I think in, in our conversations at NGA, and um, we're very much on 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 that page of we can't we can't see how um, the resumption of, of inspections in January will 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 be right at, at this point in time. Um, but I think um, uh, you, you know. We'll, as you say, Emma, we'll, we'll carry on maintaining that dialogue with Ofsted. Uh, I think that's really important. And if, if any of you listening have got things you want us to share about your thoughts on how inspection can resume at some point um, in 2021, where, whenever that will be, when, when the time is right, then, then do share that with us and, and we, we would be happy to, to pass that on to Ofsted. Yes, thank you, Sam. In fact, I think NJ's probably been writing more letters um, with partners over the last few months than we've we've ever done in our in our history. So we have written recently, haven't we, with um, ASCOL um, and NEHT, um, and uh, this time with the National Education Union as well um, to um, advise that we don't think um, that full inspection should be starting again in in January. January. Um, so yes, we'll, we'll we'll keep those conversations happening. But it is very useful to get the opinion of of members um, as well. But certainly that's what we're we're hearing at the moment. Unless something rather miraculous happens between now and um, January the first in terms of um, uh, COVID, it doesn't look as though schools will be in a position um, to be facing a full a full Ofsted um, in inspection. And then our, our fourth and final um, annual conference um, seminar um, is, is on the well-being and retention of senior leadership, which is something I'm sure we covered in earlier podcasts. And um, Steve was absolutely pivotal in producing a tool um, alongside the National Wellbeing Partnership so that governing boards um, could begin to have those conversations um, about, about well-being. Um, of staff. So we will be uh, returning to that topic. Um, we couldn't really have chosen for four subjects of the moment without including um, well-being and particularly uh, well-being of, of senior leadership. So please do um, join us uh, then. You may um, have noticed, I uh, certainly hope you noticed, that uh, a month ago we, we published Being Strategic, our, our guidance for governing boards and um, senior leaders. And uh, Steve um, uh, launched it uh, with a webinar, um, which is now available uh, to listen to again on the, the website. So please download that document and have a think about um, what does your strategy need to be looking at um, during uh, this academic um, year? You may already have had those conversations with your senior leaders. And again, we would, we would, would love to know whether you found that document helpful in, in having those conversations. So our 
forthcoming webinar in November um, uh, will be um, presented by Emma Belchin, our Director of um, Professional Development. And it's going to be focusing on um, how you monitor uh, what is happening at your schools and trusts uh, during these COVID times. I mean, monitoring is always a uh, a thorny issue. Uh, we can't talk about it enough, I think, in the governance world. Um, Steve just mentioned the sort of, uh, you know, measuring what you value, um, but we know that's harder um, uh, to do than it is than it is to say. So getting getting that right now um, is is harder than ever. So Emma will be um, giving some. Um, uh, advice and tips on how uh, you might be able to do that best. But again, we are all learning from each other at the moment. And the more that you can share um, with us um, and with your peers, um, I think the better for the whole um, system. So thank you uh, to those of you who do join in these conversations regularly. We've had some fantastic um, chats going on in our, um, in our regional uh, conferences. So thank you for listening. And I do hope that you will be joining us at some, if not even all of our events during our annual conference week at the end of November. Hope to see you then. <laughs>